From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up. The Senate Judiciary Committee wants to know what's going on. That was Texas Senator Ted Cruz, and he's not talking about the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. He's talking about two explosive developments that could significantly alter the November election. Tyler O'Neill with PJ Media is here with the details. And as the confirmation hearing of Judge Barrett comes to a close today, Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, a member of the Republican leadership in the Senate, joins me with a look at the failed attempt in the committee to derail the nomination and to share with us what's next. And why should Amy Coney Barrett be confirmed? I'm glad you asked. Travis Weber, Senior Vice President for Policy here at the Family Research Council, joins us with a new publication entitled Why Amy Barrett Should Be Confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Also, what's wrong with this picture? Pro-life evangelicals for Biden. David Clawson, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview is here for that conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is at T Perkins. Hey, lots of resources available for you to have conversations with your friends about the upcoming election. All of that can be found at PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Lots of resources. Comparison of the party platforms, voter registration, accomplishments of this administration. I think you will be blown away when you look at what this administration has actually accomplished in the last four years. Again, all of that found at PrayVoteStand.org. The fourth and final day of confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett has come to a close. Democratic senators became more aggressive, actually, today in their opposition as outside witnesses, not Barrett, testified today. The Senate Judiciary Committee will vote next Thursday on the nomination, and then the full Senate could vote as early as next weekend. Here with more on the confirmation of Judge Barrett is U.S. Senator Roy Blunt of Missouri. Senator, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tony, great to be with you. So what have we learned in the last four days of this confirmation hearing? You know, I thought it was an extraordinarily important four days. I I thought it was a reminder of... uh, faith and family and the decency that one person can uh, bring to a room and and not that there weren't other uh, people of high quality in that room, but she just consistently uh, came across as strong and principled and smart uh, and uh, unwilling to to give way on those principles, but at the same time with a, a sense of humor and an even temper uh, the ability to respond to questions with uh, without notes, uh, the uh, the ability when she couldn't remember some technical detail in an opinion to say, I really don't remember that. You'd have to I'd have to look at that again. But here's what uh, here's what the answer to the question would be uh, based on the question. And and I I thought she was great. You know, she's a person that really came across as someone who cared about other people, but also understood the job of a judge which is beyond having an opinion, beyond your where your own heart would take you, but uh, where the law and the Constitution uh, will take you. And I, I think she will be confirmed uh, in uh, uh, the next uh, 10 days or so. And uh, I think it's going to be – I think she'll be on the court uh, hopefully, hopefully a long time, and I think she'll be uh, a great influence of the interpersonal dynamics on the court and as much as possible in the country. You know, I, I said this yesterday. I, I was impressed 
by her, her uh, ability to grasp the all of the issues from memory. I mean, she must have a photographic memory. She was citing different things and no notes in front of her. It was impressive. Also, I think this week, Senator, what we saw was a sharp contrast, a sharp contrast between the judicial philosophy or ideology of the two major parties in this country. Well, I did, too. I think, actually, from the questions uh, that the Democrats ask, it's obvious that they want a judge to advance an agenda, uh, and we want a judge to apply the law and the Constitution. And that's about 180 degrees difference in how you view the court. So question after question came from their view of what they thought a judge should should do, as opposed to uh, Judge Barrett's view of what a justice of the Supreme Court should do, which not which is not have an agenda at all beyond the application of the Constitution and the law, and and uh, you did see a great contrast there between two different ideas of what the courts are all about and what a judge is all about. Uh, Senator Blunt, let me ask you this question because one of the, the, well, not one of the issues, probably the primary issue as they focused on, you know, the health care issue, saying that she was, uh, and this goes to your point about the focus on policy. They've seen the court as a uber legislative body to advance their policy ideas. But they also said, you know, in the midst of this coronavirus uh, or COVID-19, they call it, it's Chinese coronavirus, that uh, we shouldn't be meeting, you know, that, that we should. We, it's dangerous to be here and the American people need help. We should be focusing on helping the American people who are in economic trouble. And, and I don't know how they said that with a straight face, given the fact that they blocked every effort that you and your colleagues have made to provide relief to the American people. Well, exactly right. And, you know, we have been focused on our side on uh, relief to families, relief to schools, relief to uh, to small businesses and to the economy at large, where they saw this as an opportunity to uh, pass every piece of legislation that they'd not been able to pass in any other way by just uh, tacking it on uh, this package. But another inconsistency there, too, Tony, is saying, it's too dangerous should be to be here. We should be fighting uh, to do everything we can uh, for this uh, COVID relief bill, as they referred to it. Uh, and, you know, if you could be here for one purpose, uh, why couldn't you be here for two? And uh, they clearly just don't want to do this. They don't want uh, to have somebody who has uh, Judge Barrett's view of the Constitution and, frankly, probably not her view of a lot of the world uh, on the court. But... Uh, I kept thinking all week of the statement that uh, uh, that uh, Senator Feinstein made when she was up for confirmation uh, as a circuit judge, which is the dogma lives loudly within you. And I guess you could use dogma in a positive way. I've, I've never heard it used in a positive way. But if you just inserted the word that really is the word that she should be talking about, faith, uh, the faith lives loudly within you. What a what a wonderful thing to say about somebody. And, uh, uh, you know, I used to be the president of a Baptist university, and I'm sure uh, in the theological school more more than one time uh, the sermon topic was if uh, if you were accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Yeah. And uh, what, uh, what everybody that looked at... Uh, Judge Barrett this week saw was enough evidence to convict her of being a person who believes in her faith and believes 
uh, in her personal life of reaching out to others and in her professional life of doing what your oath of office requires you to do uh, and to not assume that your your job is to do more than what you've promised to do, but to do exactly what you've promised to do, which is to uphold the laws and the Constitution. You know, Senator Blunt, I'm glad you brought that point up because I know you and your colleagues basically put the left on notice about attacking her faith. And, and, and the the attacks on her faith were, faith were subtle this time around as opposed to her confirmation for the Seventh Circuit when that comment was made by Feinstein about the dogma lives loudly within you. Um, but, you know, I think we've got to keep that front and center when we're looking at the the ideology of the Democratic Party that is hostile to faith. I mean, that essentially is saying, and they communicated as such in, in, in kind of flanking moves this week, that when talking about the life issue in particular, she signed a petition about the life issue. They made reference to that. To suggest that you have to check your faith at the door of public service and that's been a growing notion in our body politic, especially coming from the left, which, quite frankly, is extremely dangerous in my view. Well, I think that's that's exactly right. It's very dangerous, very dangerous to think that if you have if you live your faith, that somehow uh, that's something that should be questionable in in um, our society, and uh, you know, this is a this is a topic that, while the members of the Democrats' uh, judiciary side of the aisle tried to be very careful about, I think they saw they had walked into uh, very un, very uh, unpopular ground with the comments that were made last time. Uh, you saw people outside uh, talking about her faith, mm-hmm. talking about uh, the uh, the way she pursues her faith, even people. Uh, criticizing her for the, her two adopted kids, that somehow this is a colonialization kind of view that you'd go to another country and bring kids home who didn't look exactly like uh, your other five kids. And, uh, you know, things were, were said that uh, really don't stand up to anybody's standard of how people should view these kinds of acts of kindness, these kinds of acts of commitment to faith, these ability to find uh, kids who need a home and help them find that home. And if it's your home, even uh, even a greater uh, sense of who you are. And uh, we, that, that's clearly out there. It's out there on television. It's out there on news programs. It's out there when people are being interviewed or demonstrating outside the Capitol. Uh, and it's the antithesis of where the founders of the country would have hoped the country would go on issues like this. Yeah, uh, without question. You're listening to Washington Watch, Senator Roy Blunt, my guest. Senator, let me ask you uh, just probably another question. We've got time for another question here. The vote in the committee next week, quite possibly a vote on the Senate floor. Once it goes to the Senate, I think you have 30 hours of debate, uh, then a vote. Now, I know that I've I've known I've watched Chuck Schumer long enough that, uh, you know, he has a bag of tricks. Anything else we might see them pull out to try to derail this confirmation hearing or this confirmation? Well, I think I don't think they have many options. There are probably a few options that they can uh, they can call some procedural uh, uh, votes to have a roll call or to have a quorum call or something like that. Uh, but they should know, as I think the members of the committee could see as the week progressed, uh, we are going to confirm her. We're going to confirm her 
uh, within a few days after she's voted out of committee, uh, and um, they're going to have to decide if they want to get out and finish this election in some other way, or they want the focus of this election to be on confirming this really uh, quality person to the court. You know, she's going to be great for the court. I hope she serves on the court for a long time, uh, and I look forward to casting uh, that vote uh, about 10 days or so from right now. Speaking of votes, does she get any Democratic votes on the House, on the Senate floor? I don't know. I I, I would guess not, but uh, there are Democrats from states that would clearly like to uh, see their senator vote for her for uh, this seat, and uh, that's uh, you get elected to decide how you're going to vote. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for some not to vote for her because she's such a stellar uh, nominee. Senator Roy Blunt, as always, great to have you on the program. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, Senator Roy Blunt of uh, Missouri. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Roy's a great guy. known him since he was over in the House as the, uh, the whip. And uh, always great to have him on the program. All right, coming up next, uh, I don't know which story is more explosive, but both could have an impact on the election. Tyler O'Neill with PJ Media is here next. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. 
What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Just minutes ago, I tried to share that story on Twitter. And Twitter is actively blocking, right now this instant, stories from the New York Post alleging corruption and the Biden family receiving millions of dollars from communist China. This is election interference, and we are 19 days out from an election. It has no precedent in the history of democracy. The Senate Judiciary Committee wants to know what's going on. That was Texas Senator Ted Cruz earlier today. Twitter has also blocked the official Trump campaign account and suspended White House Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany's account as well. Why is it? Well, both shared information regarding newly released stories and videos about Hunter Biden and his strange business dealings in Ukraine that also link presidential candidate Joe Biden who was vice president at the time, to the matter. Here with more is the senior editor at PJ Media, Tyler O'Neill. He's also the author of Making Hate Pay, the Corruption of the Southern Poverty Law Center. Tyler, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tony. Glad to be here. Well, there appears to be two explosive stories here, one being this um, hard drive information that reveals that it looks like Joe Biden lied about using his influence to help his son Hunter in Ukraine and the fact that social media is blocking the information. Yeah, I think I think social media, the way that Facebook and Twitter handled this, have really zeroed in the American people's focus on it. The, the actual story uh, merely confirms things that we had suspected for a while, and if You know, it's funny. If the Biden campaign had just denied it and if social media hadn't started going after the story, it might not have picked up the traction that it has. But, you know, now that now that Facebook and I mean, it it was gobsmacking the way that they responded to this, like Facebook said that it was reducing the article's distribution even before any of its, you know, quote unquote, third party fact checkers had done a fact check on it. So in other words, Facebook's like, Oh, we're going to hit this even though we know, even before we know whether or not it is true. And then Twitter, like you said, locked down Kaylee McEnany's account. They locked down the official Trump campaign account earlier today. I mean, this 19 days out from an election, they locked down the account for one of the two major party candidates for the presidency. It's, it's absurd. 
And it only zeroes in on the story and Hunter Biden's corruption and the way that Joe Biden is allegedly connected to it. I mean, we have what the New York Post calls smoking gun emails. And, you know, people are people are working to confirm. As of right now, I don't know how how confirmed the emails have been, but I've seen some sources come out saying that these are legitimate. And if they're legitimate, that's really damning for Joe Biden, because it suggests that Hunter Biden introduced him to Burisma Associates a year before Joe Biden would fire the prosecutor who was looking into Burisma and their emails showing Burisma Associates asking Hunter Biden to pressure his father to get the Ukrainians to back down on investigating Burisma. It's, I mean, this is, you know, big if true, but it's looking like it's more true in the way that social media has responded to clamp down on this story really kind of bolsters its importance. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's interesting, as you said, the New York the New York Post says smoking gun emails. Actually, they're the soaking hard drive emails because this uh, uh, computer left with a, a repair shop. I mean, this is like stupid criminals. Um, this this c- computer left with a repair shop, and ultimately, you know, this is turned over to the FBI. There's apparently an FBI investigation. This was kind of taken from that hard drive that was left, even though the owner apparently, according to the story in the New York Post, tried to contact the owner and he didn't know who exactly it was. But you're right. If if true, very troubling for the Biden campaign. But this, again, raises the concern that Americans have about the censorship of big tech. And, of course, the president today calling again for the repeal of Section 230 that gives immunity to these big tech companies. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's important to note that Section 230 is a good liability, you know, it's a defense from liability for uh, for platforms that are acting as platforms and not as publishers. When Facebook and Twitter start going after this, you know, they're arguably turning themselves into a form of a form of publisher. So, you know, you may not need to actually abolish Section 230. And I think Trump has Trump has signed an executive order to try to tighten the restrictions uh, with Section 230. And I mean, I, I know, you know, there are some people who have been attacked by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, I believe his name is Arthur Goldberg, who ran the uh, conservative crowdfunding uh, site called Funding Morality. And the Southern Poverty Law Center went after him and got him shut down multiple times on false pretenses. And he's using Section 230 as a defense. And I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant of getting rid of Section 230 because there are people like him that that really benefit from it and should, in my view. Mm-hmm. But when Facebook and Twitter go after these things, this shortly before an election, I mean, there there has to be really strong, renewed scrutiny on this. Right. And this looks like a blatant double standard from Twitter. Like they, they allowed the New York Times story on Trump's tax returns. They allowed Rachel Maddow posting Trump's alleged tax returns. Uh, they, they have... You know, it, if they had applied this this standard equal evenly and equally, then maybe this wouldn't be quite as big of a deal. Right. But the fact of the matter is, this is the first real time they're pushing it, 
really huge story, and it's led them to block a Trump campaign and the White House press secretary. Yeah, that double standard, I think that bolsters the claim that this is campaign interference. What do you think? Oh, yeah, most certainly. All right, Tyler O'Neill, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always, as always, great to talk with you. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, to find out more about uh, Tyler O'Neill and PJ Media, go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, coming up next, should Amy Coney Barrett be confirmed? Well, glad you're asking that question. Senior Vice President of Policy and Government Affairs, Travis Weber, joins me with the latest FRC publication, Why Amy Coney Barrett Should Be Confirmed at the Supreme Court. That's next. Don't go away. More to come. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? In this important season for our nation, it is imperative for Christians to pray. While we have a responsibility to vote for biblical values and stand for truth, our priority should always be to seek the Lord first. Each week until the election, FRC and FRC Action will host a special Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth. We'll have experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders join us for these half-hour programs that will help you see through the fog that's been created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. While you're there, be sure to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge and make a commitment to pray for our nation, vote biblical values, and stand for truth during this 2020 election season. To watch the broadcasts and to take the 2020 Pray, Vote, Stand Challenge, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. And let me again encourage you to check out the website, prayvotestand.org. Look, as we were just talking about how social media is censoring messages. I mean, I mean the, the, the liberal media, the, the mainstream media, liberal messages, they're the mouthpiece for the left. And, of course, big tech censoring, you know, the social media platforms, which was key in 2016. So what does that mean? That means you need to have trusted sources for information like Washington Watch, like TonyPerkins.com, 
like frc.org, where we have resources, publications, information from a biblical perspective that can help you understand what's going on. I mean, that's why we have newsmakers here on Washington Watch, so you can hear directly from them, and you can discern fact from fiction. And believe me, don't believe the media's fact checkers. I'm actually doing something. I'm going to share this a little bit later. Just how biased they are when it comes to the Trump administration. It's they, they, Their fact checking is not connected to reality, put it that way. Well, one of the resources that FRC has made available is a publication just out regarding Amy Coney Barrett, why she should be confirmed to the Supreme Court, a look at her background, a look at her judicial philosophy, and basically putting it out there for you as to why she would make a great justice to the Supreme Court. Joining me now to uh, to talk more about this, Senior Vice President for Policy and Government Affairs, Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back. Thank you, Tony. All right. So uh, t- tell our listeners about, uh, of course, we, we've, we were just talking with uh, earlier in the program, Senator Blunt, about uh, looking back on this week's confirmation hearings, the fact that be a vote next Thursday and then quite possibly next weekend the Senate could vote. Why should the Senate confirm Amy Coney Barrett? Yeah, Tony, I think um, I mean there are a number of things we could say about this, but as we note in the publication, it all starts with understanding our Constitution and the role of the judiciary, the role of the Supreme Court. And the, the proper role of the court is, is one that inclines itself towards an originalist, limited view of the judiciary where a judge decides cases does not make law. So we lay that out for the reader, then go into some of the specifics, uh, talk about the key cases so important to our issues on life, on religious freedom that are before the court and have been before the court and will be before the court in coming years that a Justice Barrett will be involved in deciding. So we look at how she's ruled on similar issues in the past, look at her personal um, uh, statements on certain issues, and conclude this is the type of justice that we want. Many of these cases are 5-4 votes. We need someone, we need Judge Barrett on the Supreme Court. And I think all these things were brought out at the hearing over the past uh, four days now. Uh, A key hearing, key insight into the process and into what a stellar nominee uh, Amy Coney Barrett is. Looking back on her answers this week, her interaction with the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee on a number of key issues, and of course the, um, uh, the the Democratic senators allowing surrogates mostly on the outside to go after her faith, so they didn't touch it this time as much, the kind of flanking moves. But they did go after policy, making very clear that they want to be a they want the court to be their legislative arm. But uh, how did she handle some of those questions, in your view, when it came to the issues of the sanctity of human life, when it came to the issues of human sexuality and all these these hot button issues that the courts have uh, imposed viewpoints upon the American people? Yeah, Tony, I think she handled herself exceptionally well over the past number of days because it's not just what she's saying, but it's on the, the, the what's relevant is the interaction between her and the senators. A number of, of senators, including Kamala Harris, at points were rude, interrupting her, really making it very obvious they were using this as a, a time to pontificate rather than inquire as to her qualifications, which is what they're supposed to be doing. She was gracious. She responded to their questions when appropriate. 
when it was inappropriate. She pointed that out, but did so kindly and respectfully and refused to be bulldozed by them, uh, you know, despite their continued attempts to elicit uh, judgments from her on matters which she, she could be deciding. So she had to continually point that out over and over again on questions of life, questions of sexuality and the Constitution. I thought she did exceptionally well. And as you note, they try to get at this issue around uh, in, in a sideways manner because of how it blew up several years ago. But frankly, uh, everyone knows what's at play here. Uh, Diane Feinstein was actually caught on a hot mic earlier today saying she's been pro-life for a long time. So I suspect with her it's deeply personal. It comes with her religion. That's a quote from Feinstein this morning. And on CNN, Como was interviewing Senator Hirono. Como, uh, you know, saying that uh, this is about her religion. And um, I don't understand, you know, she does have an affiliation with a religious organization and her faith is more central to her value system than it would be for just an ordinary Catholic. So inquiring into her religious faith, Hirono refused to condemn that, sort of nodded and they moved on. Uh, but there is definitely a hint of religious test yeah. around the edges here. And that's yeah. something... We have to be on guard against. Well, and it's it's it is the new mantra of the left. I mean, we just have to be prepared for it, stand against it, call it out when it's there. And I think the Republican senators did a good job of doing it. One other thing I would say about her, when when uh, there was a line of questioning trying to attack uh, by uh, Senator Leahy, Alliance Defending Freedom, and she did not back away from her uh, association with him, which I thought was very very encouraging. Travis Weber, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thanks, Tony. And, folks, you can get a copy of the publication, Why Amy Barrett Should Be Confirmed to the U.S. Senate at TonyPerkins.com. All right, don't go away. Coming back with David Clawson next here on Washington Watch. Are you looking to grow closer in your relationship with Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of God's Word? Family Research Council has a three-part series titled, Three Ways to Read the Bible. This series shares helpful ways to be encouraged and directed by God's truth by observing the text of the Bible and applying it to your life. There is no better time than now to get to know God through His Word by looking into the Bible to see what it says about itself, God, and humanity. There's no better time than now to begin devoting time to the Lord and to seek out His meaning for you. This blog series is a great primer on opening your eyes and heart to Him through the Bible amid the toils and troubles of today. Check out this helpful resource and learn how to read the Bible with not just your eyes, but with your heart and mind as well. To learn more, visit frcblog.com slash ways to read. That's frcblog.com slash ways to read. Since the 1973 Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, Congress and many states have taken various actions to stop taxpayer dollars from funding abortions or the abortion industry. As early as 1976, Congressman Henry Hyde led the effort to ban federal funding for abortions. The federal Hyde Amendment, named after him, established the principle that abortion is not health care and therefore taxpayers should not be forced to fund abortions. Despite these efforts, the abortion industry still receives millions of dollars each year in taxpayer money. In 2019, Planned Parenthood, America's largest abortion provider, received $616.8 million in government funds. Family Research Council's newly updated pro-life map tracks how your state has taken action to stop taxpayer funding of abortions. 
Go to frc.org slash pro-lifemaps to see where your state stands in the fight for life. That's frc.org slash pro-lifemaps. The rapidly changing moral landscape of the 21st century presents a challenge for Christians committed to biblical sexual ethics. An uprising against morality has overturned centuries of norms concerning the family, marriage, and human sexuality. Secular culture is not the only challenger of Christian sexual ethics. Increasingly, theologically liberal churches and denominations are rejecting the church's historic teaching on marriage. As a result, Christians are facing increasing pressure to compromise the Bible's teaching on human sexuality. How should Christians who are committed to God's Word respond to these challenges? What does the Bible teach about sexuality? Family Research Council has a new publication that presents the biblical principles for human sexuality. It lays out a survey of culture, scripture, and church history that will help pastors and all Christians meet modern-day challenges to biblical sexuality with truth and love. To access this publication, visit frc.org slash humansexuality. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you missed any of the program, it's all archived at TonyPerkins.com. In fact, you can listen to past programs, or you can get the podcast. TonyPerkins.com, or uh, go to any of the podcasting platforms. Okay, let me just ask you this question. What's wrong with this picture? Pro-life evangelicals for Biden. It, It just doesn't add up. And of course, if you look at their statement, it um, it's just a, a, a muddled statement showing, I think, political and theological confusion. Joining me now to talk more about this, David Clawson, FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview. David, wel- welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. All right, you know, we're, we're just weeks, I mean, <clears throat> 19 days away from the election. Um, you know, when you look at the personalities of this thing, it's it's uh, it's it's confusing, and some people are put off by the personalities of the candidates. But you, when you look at the policies, it's very clear the contrast between the two and the options that are available to to Bible believing Christians. And and here, when you bring in this evangelicals for Biden, I think this is an effort to try to confuse. Uh, the, the I mean, a number of Christians who are trying to figure out who to vote for, quite frankly. Well, I think you're absolutely right, Tony. I think it is an effort to confuse uh, Bible-believing Christians into voting for the Biden-Harris ticket. And it's interesting just to see how the media has really trumpeted this pro-life evangelicals group. But if you really get into the weeds, which I was I did earlier, who's signing this, it's actually a who's who of people who are pretty theologically liberal. I went back and looked at the the main signatures, the people who wrote this, Tony. You have five signers who are related to uh, their affiliate with Palmer Theological Seminary and Eastern University, which um, on their website, they actually say that uh, when they were founded in the early 20th century, uh, they were uh, they, they began to view themselves as conservative yet progressive. You have Joel Hunter, who was a spiritual advisor to Barack Obama, you have Samuel Logan, whose tenure at Western Theological Seminary uh, was terminated because he was perceived by the Board of Trustees as too inclusive of liberal scholarship. 
And so it's really, I want to just be really clear, Tony, that the people who are these pro-life evangelicals for Biden, it's a small group of really old, theologically liberal professors and academics. Uh, these are not what you would say are convictional, conservative, theological Christians. Well, let me just read this statement for the benefit of our listeners, and this is something that uh, even the media, I mean, it's designed, the media will eat this stuff up, saying that there's division within the ranks of evangelicals, evangelicals supporting Biden. And, and here's the, uh, the opening of the statement, as pro-life evangelicals, of course, you know, we, you just described this is an elastic definition of uh, evangelicals that they're using. We disagree with Vice President Biden and the Democratic platform on the issue of abortion, but we believe a biblically shaped commitment to the sanctity of human life compels us to a consistent ethic of life that affirms the sanctity of human life from beginning to end. All right, help me figure that out, because logically that is inconsistent. No, it is, Tony. And essentially, like if you, you just read it and you break it down, what they're saying is they're it's really important to pay attention to the words and the phrases that people use and the way we define words. And what this group is doing is they're redefining what it means to be pro-life. And if, if they, they list actually four issues, they list poverty, lack of health care, racism and climate change and go on to say that all four of these are pro-life issues. And even though Biden is pro-choice when it comes to abortion because they think he's on the right side of poverty, health care, racism and climate change, that the good outweighs the bad in their minds. And it's again, you know, there's a lot of issues that we could talk about. There's a lot of issues we can disagree with, um, you know, poverty, health care. There's Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, liberals can debate policy prescriptions for those issues. Um, and there's no thus saith the Lord when you, you kind of look at the Bible. Now, the Bible might lend us towards one set of policies over another. But on the issue of life, Tony, the Bible is clear. It speaks with one voice, Old Testament, New Testament, that all people are made in the image of God. And that's why Christians have been pro-life for 2,000 years. And, and so what they're doing, Tony, and it's, it's pretty deceptive, and the media is really blowing this up to try to give evangelical cover for Biden, is they're they're redefining what it means to to be pro-life, and I think that's really problematic. And, and let me read the conclusion of this, and they, as just, you just pointed out, those four different issues, and then it it concludes with this: for this reason, we believe that on balance, Joe Biden's policies are more consistent with the biblically shaped ethic of life than those of Donald Trump. Therefore, even as we continue to urge different policies on abortion, we urge evangelicals to elect Joe Biden as president. All right. So they have invoked the platform of the Democratic Party. Now, I want to go I want to play a clip from today's Senate Judiciary Committee hearing where Senator Whitehouse raises the issue of the Republican Party platform and, quite frankly, helps make the distinction between the two parties. Let's uh, play that clip uh, from this morning. Your party platform. The Republican Party platform calls for judges to reverse the Obamacare cases, the Affordable Care Act, that is, Roe versus Wade, and Obergefell, the gay marriage case. We didn't say that that's what your plan was. You said that that's what your plan was. And you said in your party platform that you were going to do it through your judicial appointments. That's how you reverse decisions. You put that threat 
in play. And I've got to say, I've got an awful lot of Rhode Islanders who depend on the Affordable Care Act. I've got a lot of Rhode Islanders who want to have some autonomy over the decisions about their body that Roe versus Wade protects. I've got a lot of Rhode Islanders who either are married to someone of their sex or wish to be and plan to be or have friends and family members whom they love who either are married to somebody of their same sex or wish to be. So when you put those rights in play by putting that threat in your party platform, you have no standing to criticize us for taking it seriously. That's what you said. Reverse the Obamacare cases, reverse Roe versus Wade, reverse Obergefell. So, David Clawson, when the evangelicals for Biden invoke the platform and they talk about having this holistic view of life, well, if you're going to have a holistic view, you need to look at the entire platform and its relationship to our walk as believers and whether or not it facilitates it, hinders it, or is neutral toward it. And when you look at the two platforms side by side, the Democratic Party platform hinders the ability of people of faith, evangelicals, to actually live out their faith in a way that is consistent with Scripture. Tony, no, it really does, and that's why I consider all of our listeners to go to prayvotestand.org to, to see the, the party platform comparisons. We have them side by side. And you, I, I get what the, the, the pro-life evangelicals for Biden are doing. You know, they're saying, hey, we're, we're, we're pro-life, but there's all these other issues that matter. And, but they're just skating right over the, the, the life issue. But when you look at the Democratic Party platform, which, again, 80 percent of the time that a politician gets put in office, they go along with their party platform. It's a it's the it's the dream ticket for Planned Parenthood. If you just look at let me just tick through a couple of these, Tony. Uh, if Biden and if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected on November 3rd, Roe v. Wade will be codified into law, which will allow abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. They've campaigned on revoking the Hyde Amendment, meaning abortion will be funded by taxpayer money. Planned Parenthood will receive millions more in taxpayer dollars subsidizing the abortion industry. Uh, foreign abortion conglomerates will receive millions of dollars when Biden repeals the Mexico City policy, which says that's what he wants to do on day one of his administration. Uh, NARAL and Planned Parenthood are going to exercise significant influence over the administration. And one other thing I'll, I'll mention, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win, we will elect a vice president who earlier this year, Tony, took two of the most morally egregious votes, I think, that have ever been taken in the, the history of the United States Senate when she voted against the pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act, which would have simply prohibited late-term elective abortions at the point of 20 uh, weeks in pregnancy when babies can feel pain. And then in the same day, Kamala Harris voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would have simply guaranteed protections for babies who are born alive. And so the, the pro-life evangelicals can, can minimize the abortion issue all they want, but if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are elected, America will look very, very different when it comes to the life issue. And that's something that all Christians uh, should be very concerned about. David Clawson, one of the issues historically that has been at the center of every major social political reform, I mean, you talk about the end of slavery, you talk about the civil rights movement, 
you talk about these major movements, it has been the the church that's been at the forefront in for, some form or fashion. And we would call that, as the founders did, religious freedom. The ability to you know take your faith beyond the four walls of the church to influence the community around you. The Democratic Party platform is hostile toward that, where the Republicans embrace the f- the full meaning of the word religious freedom. They do, Tony. And religious freedom, we need to make sure everyone knows what we're, we're saying when we're defining it. That's not only the ability to believe what you want in terms of doctrine and theological beliefs, but it's the ability to order your lives in line with those beliefs. And you actually just play that clip from the senator from Rhode Island. And it's just kind of astounding if you have a historical perspective to realize that state, uh, Rhode Island, when it was founded by Roger Williams, it was founded on the premise of religious liberty for all people to live there. The the capital to this day of Rhode Island is Providence. And yet uh, Senator Whitehouse and his party now, uh, if they were to get in power, would take away the religious liberty of many millions of Americans. In fact, Joe Biden has said his number one uh, domestic policy objective would to be enact the Equality Act, which would codify gender identity and sexual orientation into law and es- essentially gut the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And so you're absolutely right, Tony, and I think everyone needs to realize that when it comes to religious liberty, if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win on November 3rd, we're going to be looking at a very different country in terms of religious freedom. Now, uh, folks, let me just be very clear. You know, we're we're not uh, the Washington Watch and Family Research Council. We do not endorse candidates or oppose candidates for office. But what we do do is give you the information on where the candidates stand and where the parties stand on the issues and encourage you to, number one, be registered and to be voting. Obviously, with our pray vote stand, we want you praying, we want you voting and standing for truth. And I think that's our obligation as Christians. It's a it's a right we have as Americans to vote, but it's a responsibility as Christians that we have to vote. It's part of being salt and light. And and so when you just look at where the parties stand, put the personalities aside, put the individual candidates aside, because almost 80 percent of the time the parties adhere to those platforms. And so these are significant documents and they're there. We can educate you on that. We're completely within our rights as an organization to put that information out there for you. And so we do. And as David said, at prayvotestand.org, there is a comparison. In fact, there's even a, a short video that uh, gives the highlights that, that shows the contrast between the two parties. And then you can look very clearly and very easily which one most likely or, or most um, uh, significantly aligns with biblical views. Now, neither party is perfect, I can assure you. We have problems with both parties, but there is a clear distinction between the two, and one is more aligned with uh, biblical truths than the other. In fact, when you look, uh, David, at the Democratic Party platform, uh, they don't even mention God as an entity. Uh, the Republican Party, they do. So there is a, there's, from start to finish, there is an understanding uh, that the two parties, one has a hostile view, what I would say, of God, the other a uh, an embracing view of religious freedom and the Judeo-Christian God. 
That's true, Tony, and I, I wish that weren't the case uh, on these first-tier moral issues, human life, religious liberty, marriage, the family. Uh, these are issues that I think Republicans and Democrats, I wish, you know, they would, they'd be able to agree on. But it, if you look at the, the party platforms, there's a clear divide, and I think that's why this group, pro-life evangelicals, they're sowing confusion. And the conversation that we're having right here is so important to point out the differences between the party platforms and the candidates that represent those parties. David Clawson, as always, great to have you on the program. Appreciate you stopping by today. Thank you so much, Tony. And folks, let me encourage you to uh, to use these resources. I mean, we uh, we do our our team does a lot of work. I mean, we've got a, about ninety members of the FRC team. A lot of uh, very, very gifted, talented individuals like David and others, uh, Travis, you heard earlier, that are doing the research. So you don't have to. We make it very easy for you, but we want you to use it. And many of these resources at PrayVoteStand.org, in fact, almost all of them, are what we would call C3 compliant. They can be shared in churches. They can be used in many different settings. They're all educational. We're not advocating directly for one candidate or another. We are advocating that you vote for candidates that line up with biblical truth and use these resources. Share them with your friends. These videos are actually, they're very short, captivating. You can put them on your social media. All right? Use them. Pray, vote, stand. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words once again of the Apostle Paul, who says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.